You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Amen. Please be seated. Now we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We've been, over the past few months, going through Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And we're going to look at verses 1 to 6. I don't know, Ramon, if you've got it on there, if you can, if you can put it up. If not, uh, there's pew Bibles there for people. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, page 1164. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Now, just to give you a little bit of uh, the background to this, both where we're coming from today and in terms of this actual letter. In terms of the letter, Paul is writing to this church in Greece And uh, it's a church which has had its problems. It's a church in which there are a group of people who are very critical of him. And he's written to them. And up to this point, he's been very gentle and very uh, gracious and encouraged them, particularly in their giving and how he delights in them. But from chapter 10 onwards, there's a a very sharp change. And Whereas in the earlier chapters is a tone of comfort and relief and confidence in the Corinthians and confidence in God, here onwards there's kind of satire, there's irony, there's a kind of spirited self-defense and there's an attack against opponents who had infiltrated the congregation. It's pretty strong stuff. Sometimes there is a time to fight. The situation here was that the false apostles were poisoning the Corinthians' minds against Paul and therefore against the gospel. And Paul's human. And he feels anxious and hurt and wounded and passionate. But ultimately, this really is not about Paul. It's about the gospel. And it's about what kind of Christians we are to be. On the one hand, there's the kind of super apostles. And on the other hand... There's the very weak uh, Paul. And uh, as we look through these remaining chapters, uh, you'll see what a core difference that is. Now, the the context in which we are in, um, I wanted to to entitle this the Solas Sermon, but a lot of you have no idea what Solas is, and some of you have a kind of idea and think, well, that's the sort of thing that you do where you go away and you, you, you argue with people. And there's a whole bunch of people that help you do that. Um, Well, I wanted to say something about Solas because Solas is a ministry that's grown out of this church. Now, it's outgrown this church. It's away from this church. Uh, We have a building down um, in the technology park, which is wonderful. You need to come down and pay it a visit. 
Tom Courtney here uh, works with Solus as the European Director. David Hartnett is our, our fundraiser. Tim is an administrator. And we've just taken on a media guy, Ali from uh, Perth. And there's a lot of stuff happening that's really good, and I want to encourage you with it. Um, not least, uh, on yesterday, uh, David's in the good books, David Hartnett, because he made an application for funding for a media project for us to do video stuff, and uh, uh, he's managed to get us £40,000, so he gets to stay in a job for a wee while, which is really good. Uh, so thanks, David. Um, and th we thank the Lord for that. It's just incredible how that came about. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to communicate the gospel. And th these verses here are a really good one. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And uh, yesterday morning, I was in Moshe's Cafe in Nairn, which is someplace. And Moshe himself was there. And uh, standing behind the coffee bar, he started asking questions. Now, it was fascinating. I mean, just people are just so fascinating. There was an 89-year-old man there, and he said, uh, it was just wonderful. He uh, was on the Arctic convoys in the Second World War. And he told, he, he said, I, I want to say this. I don't want, really want to talk about it. But he said, I also had to do several landings, and we did a landing in the Netherlands. And I was due to go, and I said to my commander, I'm not going. I don't feel well. I'm not going. And my, the commander said, well, you'll go back, you'll be court-martialed, and if you'll be court-martialed, you could be executed. You have to go. And he said, I don't know what got into me, but I just said, I, I can't go. I'm not going. And he was on the boat, and he didn't go. And all his friends were killed on that raid, except one of them who came back with uh, his wrist, cut, his hand cut off, and, and died eventually later. And in the cafe yesterday, he just looked at me and he said, I think, I think God was preserving me for something, but I don't know what. And just even to talk to someone 89 years old about who Jesus is, and yes, maybe God even preserved you for this, to hear about who Jesus is, was wonderful. And Moshe had come with, he got his cousin, he phoned up his cousin and um, his cousin's girlfriend to come, and they're from Indian background, and just want to sit at the table and, and talk and ask, and lots of questions. Aren't all religions the same? And it was, it's thrilling. That's what, we, that's what we're trying to do. Now, not, I hope that's what we're trying to do in the church. Um, when Christian's talking about the CU, that's what the Christian is, the CU is trying to do. It's, the CU is not just giving out cheese toasties to people, which are very good, but it is trying to communicate who Jesus is. And that's what we're trying to do as a church. And it's a battle. And it's really, really hard. Really, really difficult. I should have said it about Solas, by the way, that um, it really owes his existence to another person in the congregation here, Gordon Wilson, who, after he started coming to the church, chided me about how um, basically useless we were as Christians in getting out the gospel. Now, Gordon has a certain political interest, uh, and I think I know which way he'll probably be voting in the referendum, but um, I remember Gordon saying that the message we have here is actually more important than all the politics, and it is. The message we got in the gospel is much more important. Every town in Scotland yesterday, every village, 
you would have seen dozens of people handing out leaflets, speaking, doing lots of different things because they're enthused and excited about the message that they have in terms of politics. Well, we as Christians have got a far greater message that's far more important, and it's the gospel. And that's why Paul's so passionate here, and that's what I want to look at for what we're doing here. So, firstly, verses 1 and 2, you will notice the charge that is against Paul. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. And then he becomes a bit sarcastic. He says, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. Now, what's happening? There have been charges made against Paul, complaints made against him. Uh, In verse 10, for example, we'll come to this later, but he says, some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Kind of really hurts when you're a preacher and people are saying, "Ah, he's not much of a preacher. You know, he's pretty rubbish. Now, this is the Apostle Paul, so I always feel quite happy hearing this. Because if Paul was condemned for not being a really good preacher, then you can uh, take a little bit of relief. But here, it was an attack on his character. And this is what they're saying. They're saying he's a hypocrite and a coward. That he's timid when he was with them. He's not, he's not a great speaker. He comes up to the front. He mumbles. He doesn't look that great. He doesn't have a charismatic personality. But when he's away... When he writes his letters, he's really bold and forceful. He writes these really strong letters. The kind of modern equivalent is to say he's useless in public and he's great behind a keyboard. Not great face to face. It's kind of saying he's a a wimp, like a tiny dog barking like mad behind the safety of the fence. And then it's implying as well that he's harsh and that he's hard. And then to really rub it home, that he is worldly. They think that we live by the standards of this world. He lacks in spirituality. He, he lives according to the sarcos, to the flesh. Now one of the things you will find about the Christian church is this. And I'm talking about the real Christian church. And one of the things that is most devastating and most depressing and most discouraging is when you find that real Christians are still sinners, still fight amongst themselves, still play church politics. And that is what is happening here. There is a smear campaign against Paul. And a smear campaign is really hard to answer. So what Paul does, he does answer. And as he does so, he gives us some great principles for Christian living and witness wherever we are. First of all, you'll notice in verse 1, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I want to think about these two things, meekness and gentleness. And I have to say that as I was looking at this, I felt convicted myself. Um, And I know that some of you who know me and know my style will say, well, wait a minute, you hypocrite, you're standing up saying this. I agree with you, okay? I agree with you. This, this, this hit home to me, and uh, I hope it will hit home to you as well. We are to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, and that includes meekness, which means we don't quickly take offense, and we try not to give it. Matthew 5.5, 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Matthew Henry, writing about this, says this. The meek are those, listen to this, the meek are those who quietly submit themselves to God, to his word, and to his rod. In other words, the hard providences that happen to us in our life. They are those who follow his directions and comply with his designs and are gentle towards all men, Titus 3 verse 2, who can hear provocation without being inflamed by it, are either silent or return a soft answer, and who can show their displeasure where there is occasion for it without being transported into any indecencies. I think it's a great phrase. Who can be cold when others are hot and in their patience keep possession of their own souls when they can scarcely keep possession of anything else. They are the meek who are rarely and hardly provoked, but quickly and easily pacified, and who would rather forgive 20 injuries than revenge one, having the rule of their own spirit. Blessed are the meek. Now, I look in a mirror the mirror of God's word, and I think, I'm too easily provoked. And as for forgiving 20 injuries rather than revenging one, how come in my head there are things that people have done to me 20 years ago that I still remember? What happened to forgiveness? Where's this meekness? It's literally the idea of an unassumingness, a a considerateness, that doesn't assume my rights or my being right, but is prepared to submit to God, his word, his rod, and not to to be inflamed against other people. And Paul, in taking on these false apostles and in challenging them and in being really, really strong, he's also saying by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Gentleness is an interesting one because that gentleness has this idea of yielding. You know when you've got um, two children who are maybe fighting over a toy and they're both pulling on it and neither of them will yield. At some point, one of them's going to give way. One of them's going to... And the toy is probably going to rip. It's incredible how you can get mature, grown, adult Christians who never yield. No surrender is their motto. You know, that kind of classic Ian Paisley, never, 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 no surrender. And that's the, 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 the kind of attitude that some of us have. I think this, this is my right. I I am going to get this, whatever happens. And that's the opposite of the gentleness. Now, the yielding doesn't mean being wet and weak, but it's an attitude. Isaiah 42, spoken about Jesus. This is the gentleness of Christ. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. I am not sure that there is ever any reason or excuse for a Christian to be loud, threatening, or aggressive. We can be strong and bold, but loud, threatening, and aggressive towards people. 
I mentioned Solas, and when we do training for people in evangelism, this is our, our if you like, our core verse, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, that's great, isn't it? Jesus is Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer. Um, if you'd, I, I loved in the, in the cafe yesterday, I love doing that kind of stuff. People bunging in questions. Uh, I, I love that. And I get very, very stimulated by it, by it, and I really, really enjoy it. And, you know, pray for Moshe, my new friend, uh, and his, his cousins, because, I mean, they were so interested. They wanted to come down to Dundee. They wanted to discuss it more. And I love that. But the verse doesn't stop there. Yes, you've got to be ready to give a, a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. No, I, I don't always, and neither do you, I suspect, always do it with gentleness and respect. But that's what we are to have, because we are to copy Christ. And in this instance, we are to copy Paul, because look what he does. He begs them. This is not Paul, the spiritual heavyweight. I command you. I am the apostle. You will do this. He said, I beg you with the meekness and gentleness of Jesus. Now, he, he's, he's not, by the way, don't mistake meekness for weakness. He's, he's talking, later on you'll see in verse 6, where he says we have to punish every act of disobedience. He's going to deal with their situation. But there is an attitude, I think, of um, gentleness, respect, and meekness. And he then goes on. To, to justify where he is coming from. And I think these are good principles for us. Number one, we live in the world. Verse three, for though we live in the world, we participate in normal human existence. Some of you, you may not even be a Christian. You may think, well, what do these Christians do? It's kind of weird. And here I am in church. And, wow, this is kind of strange. Well, we, we're the same as you. We brush our teeth. We wash. We bleed. We eat. We drink. We sleep. We need friends. We work. We get discouraged, we get depressed, we get sick. We, I mean, what is the difference? We live in the world. We participate in normal human existence. Christians who withdraw from the world in that sense, Christians who live in a kind of commune or, or, or shut themselves away, it's not really a Christian way to live. You move into a new hall of residence, you're living in the world. The first... Uh, Week I moved in when in Freshers Week when I was in Edinburgh University I was in, it was in a shared room, and my first surprise was not where my roommate was from he was from the west coast up in the Highlands. Uh, my first surprise was that he was absolutely bluttered at his head every night. My second surprise was to find his girlfriend in my bed, and to have to ask her to move, and to suggest to him that wasn't what we were going to do. Uh, you know. I lived in the world. You, you live in the world. I'm a Christian. I have to have a, a different lifestyle and a different standard, but you live in the world. We are not, in that sense, otherworldly. And what the apostles, the false apostles were doing was they were kind of, they, they saw themselves as super saints, super spiritual. And they accused Paul of being worldly. I find it very interesting that uh, you'll find that some of the most effective Christians are often the ones who are criticized by other people, other Christians who think themselves very spiritual for being worldly. In May, I'm just reading, I've just finished reading a biography of Spurgeon, and he was accused many times of being worldly. 
He, he smoked like a chimney, for example. And people said, well, you're very, very worldly. He actually suffered a great, great deal from depression and sickness and would go to um, the south of France. One time he was traveling by train and he was actually traveling first class. And one of his deacons saw him and came up to him and said, you know, what are you doing? Spurgeon asked him what? And he said, well, the deacon said, I'm looking after the Lord's money. And Spurgeon said, well, I'm looking after the Lord's person, uh, which I thought was quite a smart, a smart answer. But sometimes you do get Christians who are very, very, you know, we're spiritual and we don't do this and we do do that, you know. And they look down on other people, other Christians, like the Apostle Paul, they say, yeah, look at him, look at his standards. We li- he lives by the standards of the world. And Paul says, no, we don't. We live in the world. We don't live in a commune. We don't live separate from other people. We don't live out of touch. But, he says, we don't wage war like the world. We don't use the world's weapons. And here he's talking about spiritual warfare. And again, we need to be careful with that. On the one hand, you can deny it exists. And on the other, you can make too much of it, focus on it too much. I love what Calvin says about this. The life of a Christian, it is true, is a perpetual warfare. You have to stop and think about that when you're thinking about becoming a Christian. You're not entering into complete rest and harmony. You're entering into a perpetual warfare. For whoever gives himself to the service of God will have no truce from Satan at any time, but will be harassed with incessant disquietude. It becomes, however, ministers of the word and pastors to be standard bearers, going before the others. And certainly there are none that Satan harasses more, that are more severely assaulted, or that sustain more numerous or more dreadful onsets. Up on the screen when we have the prayer notes, you'll always see something that says, pray for uh, David. That's me, by the way, if you're a visitor. Pray for uh, the elders and so on. Why? Are we special? Do we need prayer more than other people? Well, we pray for the sick and those in special need. But actually, yes, in a sense, I need prayer almost more than anyone in this congregation. Why? Because I'm weak and I'm sinful and I have to stand up and proclaim God's word. And the devil hates that. And it's, that's why so many pastors and so many ministers begin to retreat and really begin to suffer. They can't live in the world and, and proclaim, proclaim Christ in the world in the way that Paul says here. So we do need prayer. We must take this into account, says Calvin. The gospel is like a fire by which the fury of Satan is enkindled. So you're a Christian, you could be at your work, you could come to this university, and you could do nothing as a Christian. And amazingly, you'd be left at peace. But because you seek to proclaim Christ, you will find that if there is any effectiveness in what you are doing at all, the forces of hell will be unleashed against you. Paul says we don't use the weapons of the world. They use politics and maneuvering. But we don't manipulate. We don't create special atmospheres. We don't have Christian spin doctors. We use, he says, divine weapons which demolish strongholds. And those strongholds, the idea is there, if you can imagine, of a fortress. Uh, if you go down to Brody Ferry and you see the castle there, it's coming, you're coming in, it's a fortress. that you've, you've basically got to capture that fortress before you can capture the ferry. 
And one of the strongholds that we're dealing with as Christians, we are dealing with the arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against God. The stratagems, the strategies that the devil uses, the deceptive fantasies, the proud arguments, the human pride. The person that says, as I heard yesterday, what do I need God for? I don't need God. That's a foolish, foolish, foolish statement. The person who says, I don't believe in God because science has disproved God. That's a foolish, foolish statement. And it's a stratagem of the devil. The person who says, we can never know God. That's another one of those, what Tim Keller calls defeater beliefs. The kind of beliefs that mean that when someone hears that you're from the sea, you go, I'm not even going to listen to that. That's a little rubbish. They don't know the gospel. They've never heard the gospel. They've never engaged with the gospel. But automatically they say it's rubbish. Because already the, the towers, the fortresses of the devil's deceits and strategies has conquered them. They take as captive. Look what he says. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's because we're challenging and taking on the stratagems of the devil. And we use the word of God. Chapter 4 verse 2 says that. It says we're not people who misuse the word of God. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We use spiritual weapons. Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I sometimes think that there are many Christians who don't take those verses seriously. Your battle is not against other human beings. Your battle is a spiritual battle. Therefore, he says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Paul says, we live in the world. We don't wage war like the world. We use spiritual weapons. And he goes on to say, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And the idea here is of the castle being breached and you going in and capturing the enemy soldiers that are in there. It's a very, very powerful image. It's an image of Christ coming in and defeating all the arguments and all the subtleties and all the strategies of the devil. And people bowing down before Jesus as Lord. Jesus, the King over every power. I was once involved in a debate and I was very, 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 very scared because um, the man concerned was very intelligent. He was a professor of philosophy. He was someone who said he was a former Christian. He had, uh, uh, I thought, an extensive knowledge of the Bible very nice personality, great way of presenting things. 
And I thought, what am I going to do? And I was really scared and really nervous. And he stood up to speak. And about five minutes into his speech, I felt like um, the king in Helm's Deep in, in Lord of the Rings, the second one, where the, the orcs are all piling in, you know, and, and uh, the king looks and shouts out, Sauron, is that all you've got? And, of course, Sauron did have something else. He had a big bomb uh, and blew it up. So I'm sitting there and I'm going, is that all you've got? I'm waiting for the bomb. I'm waiting for this guy to come up with the bomb. And he didn't come up with anything. And I thought, this is crazy. This, what you've got is pathetic compared with the gospel. And then that's what I realized. It's nothing to do with my ability to argue or, or uh, what he was like. or what he. It was just a very simple thing. The gospel intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, in every way, is vastly superior to anything that this world can offer. And we don't need to be afraid. We need to study, we need to think, we need to learn to communicate, of course. But we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I have seen the most intelligent people say the most stupid things just purely and simply because they're spiritually dead and they do not want to bow the knee to Jesus. And it is so straightforward to take the gospel to them. You know, listen to somebody like Tim Keller, who's really back in favor in our house just now. Uh, I'm hearing him quite a lot. You listen to someone like Tim Keller, you're going, wow, he understands about men and women and the Bible and lots of... And you're saying, no, it's not. It's not Tim Keller. It's the Word of God. It's, it's the Bible. You know, when I, when I hear Sinclair preach here or when I hear really good preaching, I'm just going, of course. This is what's happening. Christian ministry is a battle for the mind. False arguments need to be demolished so that people can yield to the truth and come to Christ. We need to see rebels being transformed into those who love and obey Jesus. Paul does not want to humiliate people. He doesn't want to get his opponents and grind them into the ground. He wants to captivate them for Jesus. And I think what he's saying here in 2 Corinthians to these super apostles who think they're so much better. I think he's saying, I've dealt with pagan wizards, Roman politicians, Greek philosophers. Do you really think you guys can handle this? And it's not an arrogance in himself. It's he knows that the few hyper-spiritual super-apostles in Corinth were not going to be a problem for him. Now, for me, I find this absolutely thrilling. Why? Because the gospel conquers continents. Because Islam, militant secularism, atheism, New Age, liberal Christianity, none of it can stand up to the gospel. I know the weakness of militant Islam because they have to chop off people's heads. We don't have to do that. We don't do that. We don't chop, we don't behead people. We get into people's heads. That's what we're interested in. We're not interested in destroying people. We're not interested in compelling people to believe. We're interested in proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ in such a way that all the arguments they have against him are demolished by the Holy Spirit and they themselves bow the knee and submit to and follow and love Jesus Christ. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I think that's a a thrilling picture. It's as though, using the illustration of the referendum again, there are people going around trying to take captive thoughts which say, 
If you do this, if you vote for independence, Scotland will be a greater and better place. And there are other people going around saying, no, 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 no. If you do that, Scotland's going to collapse. And people are trying to get the arguments into people's heads. And I guess what you think will end up determining how you vote. Well, it's the same with Christianity. What happens is this. How we think about God, what we know, will determine who we commit our lives to. And that's why it is a joy to be able to talk to people in a, in a student union bar, to have a music night, to talk to people in your flat, people in your own home, to even discuss with people at work, to bring people as um, we had Andy Kind here yesterday uh, morning, the Christian comedian, to have guys just come along to that, to have people come to your Bible study to go to Moshe's cafe and stand up and speak with a cappuccino about the beauty and the love of Jesus Christ. That's why it's also exciting because it's part of the, the warfare that we're engaged in. Taking captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That last verse will be ready to punish every act of disobedience. How does that fit? What Paul is saying here is this. He's saying, I'm coming. I'm appealing to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I'm telling you what we're trying to do. But he says, those who are disobedient to the gospel in the church, he says, I am they will be punished. We can't have that. We can't have people in the church denying the very gospel, the good news that saves people. There is church discipline. There is apostolic authority. Again, Calvin commenting on this. Here is an admirable medium. And by the way, I quote Calvin so much, not because I'm trying to say, oh, look how sound I am, and, or isn't Calvin wonderful. It's just I read lots of stuff, and the best stuff I read I try and give you, and, and Calvin comes up with it a lot. And his commentary on this, he says, here is an admirable medium, for as we must, insofar as in our power, draw men rather than drive them. Now, isn't that important? We are drawing people rather than driving them. We're not whipping people into the church. We're drawing them. Spurgeon actually said, there are more flies caught by honey than vinegar. You know, we, we, we draw people. Calvin says we draw people rather than drive them. So, he says, when mildness has no effect, in dealing with those who are stern and refractory, rigor must of necessity be resorted to. Otherwise, it will not be moderation or equableness of temper, but criminal cowardness. The meek are not those who can't be bothered. The meek are not those who don't care and say, well, fair enough, you just do what you want. The meek are those who in the meekness and gentleness of Christ still care passionately about the gospel and for people. And that's why in the church we need a really strong discipline that if somebody like me comes and teaches heresy, I have to be dealt with. has to be taken away because the gospel is too precious to be allowed to be spoiled and ruined by personalities. Owen quoted Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The meekness and gentleness of Christ draws us to him. He says, come, come. I, look what he says. I will give you rest. I am gentle and humble in heart. It's so much easier, isn't it, to come to somebody who is gentle and humble in heart, and that is Jesus. Not because he's weak, the very opposite. He is all-powerful. He is all-glorious. 
but he's gentle and humble in heart. And I want to say to those of you who are not yet Christians, that's the Christ you follow. Come to him. But I want to say to those of us who are Christians, that's the Christ we come back to. The devil is always wanting to say to us, nah, God's against you now. God hates you now. You've let God down. And Jesus says, no, I am gentle and humble in heart. You're weary. You're burdened. You need rest. Come. You'll find my yoke is easy and my burden is light because I carry it for you. Maybe you're a Christian who struggled with bitterness and anger. Maybe you're a Christian who's very self-absorbed. Maybe you're a Christian for whom the devil has come in and captured thoughts for himself. And every thought in you is not captive to Christ. And Christ saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Let me in. Let me in. Repent. Do the deeds that you did at first. Think the thoughts that you thought at first. Return. Return to me. And I think he's saying to all of us, as you go out into this world in which you live, you live for my glory. You don't wage war like the world. You don't hate. You don't manipulate. You don't twist. You don't lie. You don't use force. But everywhere, everywhere, you spread the fragrance of Christ. You demolish the arguments and the pretensions of the evil one by the love and words of Christ. And you take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Bless it to us. Help us to be Christians who are like this, who are strong, and yet who know our own weakness, who are gentle and meek, who are not easily provoked. Help us, O Lord, to realize that it's not about us, that our temper, our anger, our self-righteousness, our bitterness wins nothing and just destroys. And help us instead, O Lord, to be gracious and kind and help us to live for you and help us to know what your word says and to apply it and help us, O God, to communicate it And may your Holy Spirit take your holy word and grant new life to those whom we meet this coming week. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Let's uh, finish by singing, uh, I think, a very appropriate song, O Church Arise. And we'll stand and sing and then please remain standing for the benediction. Oh, church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. Lord, we long for that day when we stand with you in glory. We thank you that that day is as secure now as it will be then because you have already won the victory. Grant that we would know that and that we would be on your side. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Now as the tea and coffee is getting ready. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. 
visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.